Thank you, brother, for words of welcome along. It's good to be here with you tonight. It's always a great privilege, as well as a responsibility to preach the gospel. We're always conscious, you know, when we stand uh, really in the pulpit and face a congregation, the words of the apostle, when he said, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. <coughs> so it's very important that we hold forth the word of life. I have uh, two texts tonight that we want to think about. Uh, the first is found over in John's Gospel on the chapter 10. And these are very familiar words. John 10, of course, is one of the great chapters of God's Word. So words of verse 9 that I no doubt you have learned in the children's meeting. In fact, there's a little chorus, I think, glad end, doesn't it? Maybe it's Romans 10 and 9 is the favourite verse of mine. Well, John 10 and 9, we'll put another verse on to that little chorus. But it's John 10, verse 9. The words of the Lord Jesus. And he said, I am the door. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And then I want us to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 16 and verse 9. So the verse 9s are getting a look in, uh, in our gallery tonight. And again, we've the thought of the door, the words of Paul, right into the church of Corinth. He was going to tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Why are you tarrying, Paul? He says, for a great and a factual door, a great door and a factual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. So those are the two texts that we want to take tonight, we will see in the preaching of the gospel, how we will develop those two texts. Really delighted to have them on Teeth family, and they're going to come and they're going to minister to us two pieces now, and then they'll sing it later on. Thank you. Mercies on you, my 
thank you again uh, for that ministry. But first of all, let us pray again and seek the Lord as we have the privilege of doing. Father, we thank you for the meeting thus far. The theme of our meeting has been the glory of God, the lovely Saviour at whose feet we humbly fall and crown him Lord of all. Lord of all. We pray for the preaching of thy word. We're always conscious, Lord, that without thee we can do uh, absolutely nothing. That's right. We have we read that in your word and that settles it for us. Alas, Lord, we have found it also by experience. Lord, deliver us tonight from merely going through the motions. Deliver us tonight, Lord, from a powerless ministry. We want your word to have free course among us. We're, we're much aware, Lord, of how some seed can fall on the hard ground and the devil comes and he takes it away. Lord, some can fall on our ground, not so conducive to a good harvest. But Lord, it's the seed that falls in the good ground. It's that that excites us tonight. It's that, Lord, that keeps us in pulpits. And Lord, we pray tonight that your word would not return void unto thee, but uh, Lord, accomplish and prosper in the thing whereto thou hast sent it. Fill me, Lord, with thy spirit. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 First Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9, the second verse that we read together tonight, is primarily, that is first and foremost, about Christian service. Not only the observations, but alas, the experience of a Christian missionary, that is, of Paul himself. And he was facing... This is the nice bit. He was facing great opportunities for the preaching of the gospel. But he also had to record that there were great hindrances along the way. A great and an effectual door is opened, he says. But on the other side of the coin, there are many adversaries. Sometimes there is a kind of romanticism about missionary work. Those who go out, they leave the homeland, they go out full time. To labour for God in faraway lands. Maybe we have read some of the biographies of men like uh, William Carey or uh, Henry Martin, Mary Slessor, and uh, we forget that for all their accomplishments that they had, they came at a very heavy price. To come back to the scriptures, the Apostle Paul, we know, got on famously in Ephesus. The Ephesian church was a very spiritual church. You can pick that up just from reading the epistles. So different, for example, from the epistle to the Galatians and especially to the Corinthians. He got on famously in Ephesus. But later on, when he said farewell for the last time to the Ephesian elders, he recorded how he had shed many tears and also had endured (coughs) many temptations. So even in Ephesus, a spiritual go-ahead church, there were, it was not all plain sailing. And there were certainly, there are frustrations aplenty in every part of the vineyard as the little foxes get in and spoil the vines and break the hearts of the one who is labouring there. But tonight we want to preach the gospel. And our text in John chapter 10 and verse 9 is a good gospel text because there's a number of components in it that would make it very easy to preach the gospel. We have basically the gospel itself all contained in that little word saved. 
And that's what the gospel is. It is the power of God on the salvation. Saved from the penalty of sin. From the curse of sin. Saved from the power, the chains of sin. And one day, <coughs> for which we look forward, saved from the very presence of sin itself. It will be a great day when God's people enter into heaven. And in the words of the hymn writer, we will sin and sigh no more. So we have the gospel itself right in the very heart. He that enters in shall be saved. We have the way of salvation in John 10 and verse 9. And Jesus said, I am the door and by me, if any man enter in. So when we come to John chapter 10, here we have not only the reality of salvation, but the way of salvation. If someone was to wait behind, desire to be saved, well this would be a text. One among many, to which we could go and say, well here's how we are saved. We come to Christ and we enter in and we shall be saved. We also have in it here, still by way of introduction, we have the offer of the gospel. And it's a glorious offer here. It says, if any man enter in. I love that great doctrine, you know, of the free offer of the gospel. Amen. The indiscriminate gospel preaching. Standing up to a crowd of people, no matter who they are, no matter where we are, Holding forth the word of life with this assurance, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. This text, John 10 and 9, uses the illustration of the door to convey the truth. And it is, of course, a most familiar illustration in almost every culture in the world. You enter into the building through the door. We get in through the door today. Into the building, into the room, we pass through two doors in order to come in. And just as we don't have to reinvent the wheel, neither do we have to reinvent the door. It's so basic. But as with the door to Christian service, so is the door into the Christian life itself. That's where I'm bringing the two texts together. Just as the door to Christian service is great and effectual, but there are many adversaries, so too, the door into the Christian life, the door into salvation is also great and effectual. But once again, there are many adversaries. What may be said of the one is certainly most applicable to the other. So that's where we want to go tonight. We have three main thoughts that will detain us just a little while longer. The first thing that we have here, number one, is the description of the door. The description of the door. And we want to enlarge on the thought that this door to salvation is great and effectual. For these are great claims. And when there is a great claim made then, like Moses who turned aside at the burning bush, we can turn aside and investigate it further. We say first of all that the door to salvation is a great door. It is a great door. It is a great door because God himself is a great God. And anything that can be sourced back to God, anything in which anything which comes from God, then must also be great. And over in Psalm 95, verse 3, we read these words, The Lord, the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. The Lord Jesus, who said, I am the door, is described in Titus 2 and 13 
It says, looking for that blessed hope. We had it in one of the songs, one of the hymns that were sung. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. We're looking for that blessed hope. The glorious appearing of who? The great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And therefore, salvation is a great salvation. In fact, the Bible says it is a so great salvation. And how could it be described as anything else? For when you remember what it does for us, it provides pardon for a guilty soul. And that means everything to a soul that has been awakened to its guilt and doom. The reason why many people have no time for the gospel and they disparage it. Now are sit tonight glued to an old box in the corner of the room of their home rather than come to the house of God is because they have not been awakened to their need. Not been awakened to their need. But let them see, I believe, the, the need of their soul. Let them see that they're sinners. As the Bible says we all are. That we're abiding under the wrath of God if we're not saved. But then the message of the gospel will take on a new light to them. When the Spirit of God awakens a heart and they see that heart sees that without God there is no hope. That heart will look to God and say, well, is there any hope for me? And we say there's hope in the gospel. Mm. Oh, what a difference that will make then. It is so great salvation. It came to us, of course, at a great cost. The Son of Man is come, he said, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I love the words of the hymn writer who said, View him prostrate in the garden. On the ground your maker lies. On the bloody tree behold him. Sinner, will not this suffice? Therefore we say tonight, yes, this is a great door. But it's not only a great door. The door to salvation, as we read there, is an effectual door. In other words, this is a door that works. That's what we mean by effectual. It does what it sets out to do. It accomplishes what it sets out to achieve. And just as God cannot know any failure, God never knew what it was to fail. You and I know what it is to fail. We have numerous projects that we maybe got started and off the ground, but they never went anywhere. They failed. Failed for a number of reasons, perhaps. But they're still there waiting to be finished. And they'll probably never be finished. But whatever God does, it lasts forever. <coughs> and God cannot know any failure. The language of the invite is a most positive, uh, uh, is a most positive language used. Listen to what it says. By me if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall be saved. Not just merely that he's in with a great chance. Not just merely, merely that it's possible or even probable. No, the word of God says, when we come as a sinner to Jesus, when we enter in through the door, God's word says that soul, that soul shall be saved. Saved for time and saved for eternity. It is effectual because it has worked from the earliest of times. And you go back into the ancient mists of antiquity, you go right back to the beginning of time itself. Go right back to the earliest days of the human race. 
And there you see the evidence of God's salvation working. We read about a man. He was not the first man born. For that was Cain. But the second man born. It's possible that they were twins. We know they were brothers. It's possible that they were twins. Abel is known as righteous Abel. Abel offered up his sacrifice by faith. Tonight Abel is in heaven. In the presence of God. Because this salvation that we're preaching. Has worked from the earliest of times. Genesis 4 verse 26. Early times again. Then began men. To call upon the name of the Lord. And that means. Or I think it means. It's certainly in the margin that can be taken. Then they began to call themselves. By the name of the Lord. That is they began to band together. As a group of God's people. It has worked not only in the earliest times. It is effectual because it has worked in the hardest times. And you think of Noah. The days in which Noah lived. Genesis chapter 6. The word of God says. The wickedness on the earth was so great. It repented God. That he had made man. And God purposed in his heart. That he would destroy man. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know Noah was as wicked as the rest of them. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God had mercy in him and on his family. And Noah built that great ark to the saving of his house. During the summer months there, in the month of July, I was over in the United States. Did some of the uh, states of America. And they came up by Sanity. And that's where Mr. Ham, Panzers in Genesis, he has built a replica of the ark to the uh, size that is given in the Bible, so many cubits long. It's the the biggest wooden structure of its kind. And it was good to go into the ark. A lot of things have been, of course, left to the imagination as far as what would be inside the ark. But it's certainly very viable. But when we go back to the original ark, It was built in different circumstances altogether. And in the midst of that 120 years when he wasn't putting bits of plank together to make an ark, Noah would preach the word. Mm. People laughed at him. People scorned. Noah never wavered. There's no record that he ever, ever wavered. This salvation is a factual. It works in the hardest of time. It works today. Because with all of man's amazing advances... That he has. It's unbelievable. uh, The the advances that have been made. In the last 50 or 100 years. And yet today. There's still many turning to the saviour. God is not redundant. The need of the heart is still the same. The feeling of guilt is still there. The idea of eternity. Stamped upon man's heart. And the only answer to man's need. Is Jesus. The Nazarene. It will work to the end of time. We speak confidently when we say that. The Bible itself. The Bible itself says in Matthew chapter 24. This gospel must be preached as a testimony. As a record. A witness. And then cometh the end. Preach to all nations. And so it will be every day. The Lord is adding on to the church. Such as should be saved. Our labor tonight is not in vain in the Lord. Sometimes it's very easy to get discouraged in the Lord's work. But we should never be deterred. Never be deterred. You might have a bad day. Go to bed early. Get up in the morning. Pray on to God. Give me a better day than yesterday. But remember God's work's marching on. Amen. 
Amen. That's marching on. Our sheep I have, he says, they are not of this, yet, yet of this fold. Them also I must. The divine necessity. Them also I must bring. The door to salvation is a great door. It is an effectual door. But we notice again, as we combine our two texts together, that there are obstacles to this door. There are obstacles to this door. You could get to a door and there could be stuff in front of it or stuff behind it and you'll not get it open. It could be bricked up. could be boarded up. It could have an old lock in it nobody has the key for. And you might have to, well, swing maybe a big axe or whatever to try and get in. There's many obstacles around this door. The language of the scripture there is there are many adversaries, many enemies. There they keep the sinner away from entering in. The biggest adversary to the sinner getting saved is his own wicked heart. It's not because he's too wicked and there's no blood to cleanse him. That's not the issue. Christ died for the ungodly. But it's his own wicked heart. You see, we live in, in, in a blame culture. You see it all around you. A blame culture. And you think, maybe, well, this is something new. Well, no, it's not. Because it goes right back to the Garden of Eden. Where art thou, Adam? Adam? Adam knew that he had done wrong. He says, the woman you gave me. There was the first row. The domestic row in the Bible. I'm sure when she got him home, she chewed the head of him over that. The woman you gave me. So the Lord turns to the woman. Not that he accepted what Adam had said, but he turned to the woman. And she played the same game. Mm -hmm. She blamed the serpent. It's the blame games going on all the time. And when you corner the sinner and you have the preaching of the word, whether it's from a pulpit or on a one-to-one, well, it's always somebody else's fault. Well, the scripture says we really ought to blame ourselves and take responsibility because it's ours to take. Recognize our responsibility and start with the words, me the sinner. Don't be an Adam tonight. Don't be an Eve. Don't make yourself a fig leaf to cover your spiritual nakedness because if you do, you're putting an obstacle between you and God. He came into the world to save sinners. And if you won't take the sinner's place, then you cannot be saved because you are excluding yourself from the salvation of God. Mm-hmm. And then there's not only do we, uh, we, we see this, but there's also the love of, of sin and darkness. The love of sin and darkness. That rich young ruler who came to the Saviour. And he was so promising to start with. Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's the language, right? Somebody has been talking to him. What lack I yet? He felt his need. And the Lord, as you know, gave him all the the commandments in the second table. Very blandly, he says, I've kept all these from my youth up. Now, though I'm sure our Lord could have said to him, well, you know the first commandment, you're not to have any other God before God, before me. And I'm pretty sure that young man would have said, yes, 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 I've done that too. I've kept that too from my youth up. So our Lord came out of a different way. Our Lord said, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. Here was a young man, I don't know if he had a singing voice or not. 
but he couldn't sing, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. The gold that he had was very, very precious to him. In fact, when he was forced to make a decision, and he's standing here at the door to heaven, he would rather have his gold. The Bible says he went away. He didn't enter in. He went away. He went away in idolater. He loved his gold more than he loved his God. And we never read of him ever getting saved. And many a soul has fallen short because they have loved some other dark sin. And they just, they just couldn't let it go. They, they held it too tight to them in love. Mm. And they said goodbye to the Lord Jesus. Love of sin. Unbelief. Unbelief is another of the sinner's internal adversaries. Refusing to believe God and the record that he has given of his son. And again, that is a wicked crime because the scripture says if we believe not God and if we believe not the record that he has given off his son, then we make him to be a liar. We make him to be a liar. And that blackens God. And again, to go back to the Garden of Eden, that justifies the words of the devil in Genesis 3 and verse 1 when the devil said, Yea, hath God said. It wasn't so much that he doubted that God had said it. I don't believe that. But when he said, Yea, hath God said, he was implying there, Yes, God has said it. But why on earth did he say that? You're not the eat of all this fruit. Or you can eat of all this fruit except for that one fruit on that tree. Would God really think like that? Surely there's another way the devil was saying. Surely there is a better way. If you partake of it, you shall be as gods. And that's unbelief. The damning sin of all is unbelief. I believe that every sin damned. I've read it said, I don't believe it, that the only sin that damns is unbelief. Every sin damns. Every sin left unpardoned damns. But unbelief is the sin that kneels down, as it were, the coffin lit. There's more adversaries here. There's the fear of man. The fear of man that brings a snare. The fear of family, the fear of friends. So much so, the Lord Jesus said, He that loveth father or mother. That's the nearest and dearest, isn't it? Father, the mother brought us into the world, loved us, clothed us, educated us, protected us, bonded with us. Gave us all the good things. But sometimes, not always, but sometimes there's a choice to be made. And there's been souls that have gone home after a meeting disturbed and have made known their, their disturbance and they were told bluntly there'd be no Christ, there'd be no religion in this house. And you've got to make a choice. And Jesus said, these are hard words, hard words. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. How hard it was, you know, for Moses. Moses to leave Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter had rescued Moses. Lifted him out of the little ark in the water on the Nile. When, when, when our male children of the Hebrews were being slain, she had had compassion. And there was more to this matter, you know. I know Hebrews 11 concentrates on all the riches of Egypt. But he was emotionally <laughs> attached as well to Pharaoh's daughter. But he said, no, I've got the foul God. A great and a factual door is opened unto me now. 
and I've got to go through it. There's a very human side to that story too. You think of Herod. Here's Herod. And uh, he's listening to the faithful preaching of John the Baptist. John has rebuked him for his sin. Not lawful for thee to have this woman. And this woman wasn't very happy about that. And she uh, egged John the Baptist on. He's put him in the prison. But he's keeping him alive. He's, he's keeping Herod's keeping him alive. And then he gets tricked into making a rack oath. And he now got a choice. And the Bible says, for the sake of those who sat with him, his drunken, prolificate friend, he took off the head of John the Baptist. And he silenced. He silenced forever the voice of God to his soul. Well, what a, a wretched choice he made. Where is he tonight as we preach these thoughts? As we mention his name. Where is he tonight? A great and a factual door was opened for him. John the Baptist would have preached to him what he preached to, the, to everybody. Behold the Lamb. Look to him. Be saved. And he didn't do it. Great and a factual door was opened. Many adversaries, false preachers. False preachers are adversaries. Men purporting to preach the truth. Men who come in and describe themselves as the physicians of souls. Men who have gained the deepest trust of their flock. Leading them. Leading them down to hell. Not only failure to preach the necessity of the new birth. But often attacking it mercilessly. Demonizing faithful men of God. Who preach the way of salvation. And the whole counsel of God. There are many adversaries. But you know when you start pulling the little strings here to see where, where, where does all these leads go? All these different types of adversaries. Where do they lead us? To the greatest adversary of all. Your adversary the devil. As a roaring lion. Going about seeking whom he may devour. Thirdly and lastly here. Very quickly we have the entering in through the door. For that's what John 10 and 9 says. I am the door. Jesus there, he uses the plural, rather the singular. He always spoke in the singular. He never used the word we when it come to the way of salvation. It's always I. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the door, singular, by me, singular. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. And we've got to enter in. You know, I'm all for the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. The article leads either to the standing or falling of any church. Once the church abandons that message, the gospel's gone. The gospel's gone. I do not believe, however, in what is known as preparationism. What is preparationism? Why am I bringing this in now? Well, it's where a gospel preacher, maybe for good reasons, but he almost insists, there's the key word, insists in tears, of repentance and then he starts to, to analyse people's profession of faith now obviously some gospel truths do need to be known and they, and they do need to be believed we, we can't afford to be vague on this matter so, so we accept that but there are practices out there that speak more of what we will call hyper-Calvinism rather than Biblical Calvinism. And therefore they are to be avoided. 
Now that said, I often wonder. I often wonder at those who insist that salvation is a very simple matter. In many ways, it is indeed a simple matter. He that enters in through the door shall be saved. But they have very low views of, of human depravity. The issue, the simplicity, is easy enough in that we enter in. But it's getting the sinner to the door, isn't it? It's getting the sinner to the door. And that's why the Bible says, salvation is of the Lord. The necessity is of the new birth to even see the kingdom of God. Never mind we enter in. Again, that said, what would I say to an anxious sinner? If someone waited behind tonight, please do. If you're concerned about your soul, what would I say to an anxious sinner? I'd just say, enter in. Enter in. Flee. Flee from the wrath that is to come. I would use, I would use the, flir- the verbs like that. Again, in the book of Genesis. Sodom. Wrath of God is going to fall. God is angry with that city. The angels went in to rescue Lot and his wife and his family. And what did they say? Flee. Flee. Don't look behind you. It's time to get out. Learn the theology afterwards. Let your knowledge catch up with your experience. But like John the Baptist tonight, we say, flee, flee for your life, flee, flee from the wrath it is to come. You have an ever-dying soul, entrust it now into the loving hands of a dying saviour. Paul said, I know, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul took his soul And he put it under the nail-scarred hands of the Lord Jesus. And he says, Lord, save me. Save me. No works of merit now I plead. That was big for a Pharisee. No works of merit now I plead. Jesus takes for all my need. And so he will. And that's what we say, lay hold. Despite the difficulties, yes, they're there. We recognize them. The Bible recognizes them. Despite the difficulties, it's worth the great cost that it might be for your decision. Because there's no other way but this. And I'll never get sight of the gates of light, the way of the cross I miss. Is there one among us still unconverted and still unsaved? You've sat many a night in gospel meetings. You know what happens when we come to the end? We make the appeal. We, we start to apply it. We make it individual. <coughs> Maybe you, you feel awkward. You squirm. Maybe you're starting to batten down the hatches. Oh, we would say tonight, don't do that. A great and effectual door is open. It's open again. How long will it be open? Is another matter. But it's open tonight. And we can say, today is the day of salvation. And we can say this, that if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Therefore we say, why not you? And why not now? And you can go home rejoicing and be able to say, my sins, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, 
My sins not in part but the whole are nailed to his cross and I bear them no more. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Make it personal. Make it real. Come as a sinner to Jesus. Thank you for listening so well. And we do thank the Lord's servant for this tremendous gospel message. Very favourite text of mine, John 10 and 9.